Good morning. My name is Nicole Fitz. Please join me in the reading of God's word from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into his death, so that as Christ has raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so that we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, Certainly, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in, in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be your master, be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. May God bless the reading of his word. chapters 1 through 6, and particularly chapter 6 and the victory over Jericho, 
you need to understand something. That those people in the victory over that city walked together. You see the story again, every day after day. They were together as a people. Together as a people. Now I need to ask you this question, and you know the answer, but it's a good question to ask. Who gave the victory over Jericho? It wasn't the people. They just followed God. They did what he asked them to do. And together, they accomplished victory. And God did it. And the demonstration of the na to the nations around them was that God was with these people. God was with the nation of Israel. God was with Joshua. And I think that's incredibly important for you to understand. So we now move into chapter 7. Fun chapter. No, it's not a fun chapter. It's a very convicting chapter. And uh, I think it's important that we understand when they went to battle the next one, they lost. And there's a reason. And you know the story. And the result was because of hidden sin. Sin that was disclosed, undisclosed. And I think that's important. So here is a thought I think is important. What happens to you personally as a child of God, as a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ? What happens when you, quote unquote, walk the Christian life alone? Really important. The Word of God tells me that the body is fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, Ephesians chapter 4. And so we're connected in a very unique way as his people. This chapter shows me something when one of those family members, as it were, who's connected to the family of God begins to walk alone and in his own way. Very important thing. Very important. What happens when we walk alone? Well, it's pretty obvious. Chapter 7 tells us. Sin entered the camp. And there was a huge consequence that was paid because of that sin. And so we want to look at that but I want to encourage you later on as we share what can take place in that. So, uh, chapter 6, the declaration. If you'll turn in your Bible to Joshua, chapter 7, we'll look at that. I want you to look at the first word in chapter 7. What's the first word? But. <laughs> here's, here's this wonderful victory. And the first, the next word after all that victory is, but, what does that tell you? It tells you something ominous is coming. Something not too glorious is going to take place. But, we want to look at some questions this morning. They're in your outline. Six questions. Very simple questions. So follow along with me. First question. What was the warning that God had given the nation of Israel? Very simple warning. In Joshua chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. But you keep yourselves, verse 18 of chapter 6, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Keep yourselves from those things. Don't get caught up in the spoils that you gain from that victory. The literal spoils, gold, silver, iron, brass, copper, all those wonderful things, garments, beautiful things. Don't get caught up in those things. 
So a little side point here. I love this because I like to wander, and I can't wander very far up here, so that's really good. I want you to understand something, that here we see the physical temptation that uh, Achan experienced. But what we want to look at is, how many times do you have wonderful spiritual victories in your own life? You experience something really glorious that God has worked into your life. He's just performed something miraculous, maybe, even in your life. You've had that victory. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're really encouraged. What's chapter 7 tell us? Beware. <laughs> Be ready. Be ready. We're going to see later that there's an enemy that seeks like a lion to destroy you. And especially, especially when you've had maybe a major victory in your life spiritually, let alone a physical victory. Be aware. Be prepared. Don't do. So the people shouted, and what happened when they were together? They shouted at this miraculous victory. The walls fell down. It, it's unbelievable. And they entered into the land of the victory. God gave the victory. God gave the victory. God gave, can I say it again? God gave the victory. And that's a really important for us to understand. Every victory, every success, please work hard. God says, please stand forth with effort and, and determination, but recognize something. God's the one who gives the victory, and that's really important. They camped outside the city. Chapter 7, verses 19 through 21, you know the story. While most were asleep, one man went out gathered some spoils that he had seen during the battle, as it were, the fall of, of uh, Jericho. And he hid the spoils. He hid that which was dedicated to God in his own personal tent. He hid it in secret. Look at chapter 7, verses 2 through 5. Oh, God must be speaking. Chapter 7, 2 through 5. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which near Beth Haven, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the story is they go out and spy out the land of Ai, and what the process was, they saw this city, the next battle ahead, and those around him said, hey, don't send the whole army, just send 3,000 out. It's a simple battle, not a problem. Hmm. What happened? 3,000 men go to the simple battle. They get run out of town, so to speak. And 36 men die. 36 people die. Wow, what a horrible consequence. Secret sin caused the loss of a battle and the loss of 36 lives. Wow. Don't keep the spoils. I don't know what those might be in your life. But God gives us victories. And sometimes in those victories, there are spoils that, want, that God wants to be given totally and completely to him. To give him glory and honor. So that's really important. First, second question. What was Joshua's response? How did Joshua respond in verses 6 through 9? It's very simple. He fell on his face before the Lord. His first response was remorse. He felt horrible. 
There was deep emotion. He fell on his face because of this horrible defeat. Dr. Wiersbe, Warren Wiersbe said this. I really like this. God sometimes permits us to experience humiliating defeats in order to test our faith and to reveal to us what's really going on, listen, what's really going on in our hearts. God permits everything, and there sometimes he permits defeat in our lives. He allows those defeats to come. He's not the author of them. He allows them to take place so that we might understand what's really going on inside us what's really going on in our heart, our mind, our soul, and our spirit. And I think that's important. The next response is in verses 8 through 9. There's repentance. Joshua repented. His prayer shows that. His concern was not about just the reputation of the nation of Israel, but God's. And so he confesses to God, Lord, how are you going to deal with your name and your glory in light of this great defeat? Uh, Think with me for a moment. Let's kind of step aside here from a, in a practical way. Let me make this statement. Listen carefully. It is God's intent. It is God's intent that you and I as his children, as his followers, as his disciples, live a life of unbroken victory. Really? It is God's intent, his purpose, his design that we live in unbroken victory. Really? Yes. You as a child of God, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how new you might be in the faith, in knowing Christ and walking with Jesus, his desire and intent is that you walk unfettered by sin. That's his desire. You need to understand that. When you wake up in the morning, it is God's desire that you walk in righteousness and holiness. Amen? Amen. That we walk holy and pure and right. That's his desire for us. There was no need for defeat at Adak. There was no need for it. Didn't have to happen, but it did. I like this next statement. And I think, again, Dr. Wiersbe said this. God does not make it impossible for us to sin. Did you get that? God does not make it impossible for us to sin. When you get up in the morning, he doesn't make a way for you that makes it impossible for you to sin. He doesn't take your free will away from you. He doesn't take consequences away from you. He doesn't take circumstances he doesn't make it impossible for you to sin. But he always, listen, he always makes it possible for us not to sin. Did you get that? Are you going to be tempted tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, you're going to be tempted. I don't know what that might be. I'll guarantee you, if you pay any attention to your life, when you wake up tomorrow morning, that the enemy will be there, you're fallen man who still is with you is still there the temptations of life are still there and the enemy especially if you've had a recent victory in your life whatever that might be 
He's ready for you. He's ready for you. But God always makes it possible for you not to sin. Listen to these scriptures. These are awesome scriptures that talk about this possibility. We need to be part of this, and it's called obedience. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Are you common? <laughs> I mean that in a respectful way. We're just common people. There's no temptation taking you, but to such as is common to man. But God, here's that wonderful word again, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you, will not put you in a circumstance that you cannot bear it, and he will provide a way of escape that you can bear it. But God, you don't know much. Yes, he does. He knows every detail of your circumstances of life. Every one of them. There's no temptation. There's nothing that's beyond the power of God. When you look at the city of Jerusalem, or excuse me, Jericho in chapter 6, it was an impossibility for that nation to conquer that city. Impossible. Not probable. Impossible. And yet they followed God. They obeyed him, and he provided a way for victory. Powerful. Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk in the Spirit, be controlled by the Spirit, live in submission to the Spirit, live under the singular control of the Holy Spirit, and here's a promise from God's Word, and you will not sin. What? I didn't say that. Paul didn't say, well, he said it, but you know what I mean. That came from the very heart, the mind, the soul, the, the heart. of Every part of God said that to us. If you walk under my control, under my power, under my authority, under my encouragement, if you do that, you won't sin. That's a promise. Thank you. Oh, ho, ho, ho. thank you, John. See, greater is he that is in you. Yeah, you know what I mean. Than he that is in the world. Listen, you don't have to fail when you walk with Jesus in your spiritual life. Doesn't mean you're going to succeed in every issue of your life. That's not the point. The point is walking a lifestyle that pleases God that honors God, and that declares who you are as a child of God. That you are a child of light. Your circumstances might be tough, and you might fail in some of those. But God permits failure sometimes, that he might bring himself out as the greatest light. But you personally, in your daily relationship with Jesus, that's the goal, to walk in light with him. That's so important. You've overcome, because greater is he who is in you. So, first question, don't keep the spoils after a victory. Give them to God. Let God get the glory for the victories in your life. Number two, uh, we see the repentance and the remorse 
that was experienced. Question number three, how does God respond? What did God do in response to the situation? Verses 10 through 15. He responds to Joshua with a very detailed and very specific direction. You know the story there. It's a pretty, pretty well-known story. There's a time to pray. Joshua just got through praying. He got down on his face. He was so broken. Lois died again. Please, if God brings that kind of conviction on your heart, get down on your face before God. Sometimes literally bowing low before him in a physical way. That's exactly what Joshua did. And hey, that is the physical demonstration of the contriteness of our heart when we can respond physically to God. You know, I'm, if you don't know by now, I'm a pretty expressive person. I like to get a little wild and crazy sometimes. When I am worshiping God, I like to worship God. And I don't care who's around me. I pay attention who I'm with for sure. But there's times when I'm all alone and with my guitar, and I just enjoy God. And I get wild and crazy, so to speak, in the right way. And I think that's important. How did God? Detail. Uh, there's a time to pray. And listen, there's a time to act. There's a time to speak to God beyond your face. And then what does God say? His command. He says, get up, Joshua. I don't want you on your face anymore. I want you to stand with me. And I'm going to show you some things I want you to do. In light of this sin, stand now. Time to pray. Now's the time to get up and act. Israel had sinned. They transgressed his covenant. He tells them that in verses 10 through 11. He says, you stole from me as a nation. You stole from me. You took what was mine. Wow. <laughs> I don't like this passage. Because it, it points the finger of God at me because I can look back at my last week and I can think of things that I stole from God. Sometimes purposefully. <laughs> but sometimes accidentally. But they still were stealing. And literally what happened today, AI, what happened to Achan, he stole from God that which belonged to him. And more, more importantly than the silver and the gold and the bars and the garments, was he stole the glory of God from God. He kept that honor, that testimony of honoring God, and put it under his tent. He stole from God his glory. You know, when we steal from God, when we don't give him what he deserves in the victories of our life, guess what we're doing? We're burying that treasure in, under the tent of our life. And God says, don't do that. Don't bury the glory of God. Stand up. Well, verse 12, he gives them the condemnation. He says, therefore, I like this. Therefore, the people of the Lord cannot stand before their enemies. You wonder why your life, pardon the expression, sucks sometimes? It's because you've stolen from God. Isn't this an encouraging message this morning? <laughs> I hope it is. Because God doesn't want you to be condemned. He wants you to be lifted high. He wants you to be part of such an awesome experience with him that people see your light 
and they declare your, his glory, and I think that's important. But his condemnation, verse 13, his command was very clear. He says, get up, verses 14 through, through 15. He gives them steps to take. Here's what I want you to do to discover the one who has stolen my glory. I think it's really important because look at verses 14 and 15. Verse 14. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And listen to this. And the tribe, and here's the phrase that I think is important, that the Lord takes by lot shall come near. And the clan, next phrase, that the Lord takes shall come near by household. And the household Phrase again, that the Lord takes shall come near by man, man by man, and he who is taken with the who he who is taken with the devoted thing shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. He says, this is what I want you to do, Joshua. But who picked out? Who went through the steps? God did. Joshua just followed the directions. And when the tribes were brought, God says, this tribe. When the tribes got there, it says, this clan. And God pointed out the clan. And so on and so on and so forth. Until it got to the family of Achan. Wow. Put yourself in Achan's position for a moment. Here's a whole nation of Israel. God has condemned them. Everybody knows it. They've had this huge defeat after an unbelievable victory. And all of a sudden, the countdown starts. Does Achan know what he's done? Well, that's a stupid question. Yes, he did. He did. And what do you think was going through his heart and mind when this lottery began to take place, so to speak? I, you know, for me, I'd been scared out of my gourd. I'd have been frightened to death to know that, guess what? It isn't Joshua that's going to find out my sin. It is God. Who, and guess what he begins to see? Tribe, clan, family. What do you think he was thinking by the time he got to his family? And they were brought before the nation. You think his conscience was crying out in agony? I, I believe he was. God, so I don't like this stuff. My sin is fun. If it wasn't fun, I wouldn't do it. If it wasn't enjoyable, we wouldn't be plagued by it. If there wasn't temptation, we wouldn't have this problem. If there wasn't gold and silver, etc., etc., we wouldn't have to worry about these things. But the word of God tells me there's a war going on between my old flesh and my new nature. And it's a battle. And God says when the new nature is controlled by my Holy Spirit, my name gets glory. And the treasures and the spoils become glory to me. To him. Wow. I think that's important. How did Joshua respond? He followed through. He did exactly what God had said in verses 19, 16 through 18. We'll see it. All the steps he took. He followed through. He obeyed the directions of God. 
First, in the, the fifth question, how did Achan respond to Joshua's questioning? It says, this is the paraphrase, I am caught. <laughs> That's Joshua's response. He says, I have sinned before the Lord. Well, Joshua, or excuse me, Achan, why didn't you say this at the very beginning when the lottery began, so to speak? He just, he waited and he waited and he waited until there was no other recourse. Brothers and sisters, family of God, don't waste lottery Do you think Achan knew what he did the first moment he did it? Yeah. Absolutely, unequivocally, without question, he knew exactly what he was doing, and he did it anyhow. Why? Because he was walking alone. Wow. We're going to get to the resource and the, and the rec recompense and later. Um, the cry of his heart. Question 6, verses 22 through 26. Great question. Was it worth it? <laughs> That's a, Doug, that's a stupid question. No, it wasn't worth it. It was not worth it. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 through 15 says this. But each one is tempted. Now please, circle each one and put me, or when I am, because you're going to be tempted. When each one is tempted, when each one is tempted, each person is tempted, when he is, listen, lured and enticed by his own desire. What does the enemy use in your life? He knows you in many ways better than you do. He is a powerful, mighty being, but he is not God. But he knows. Drawn away by your own desire. Then, then, it's nothing, it, there's nothing wrong to be drawn away, as it were, to be tempted. There's nothing wrong with being tempted. What's the problem? Falling. Doing it. Look what it says. Then desire when it has conceived. So what, you ha what happens is you, just like Achan, he saw the gold. He knew the command of God. And what did he do? He stopped and he pondered the riches. Where did that come from? Gold looks pretty cool. These are pretty awesome things. Boy, those extra hamburgers look good. Or whatever you want to say. Man, that show or that book or that place. When you're drawn away and tempted. But it says, then desire when it has conceived. What does that mean? That means when you've been tempted, the enemy knows what your nature is like. And what do you begin to do? Well, guess what Achan began to do? He saw the gold in the treasure and he conceived a plan. Has he sinned yet? Some say yes, I'll say I'll give him the break and say no, he hasn't. But when did he sin? When he acted upon that plan. He could have said, no God, by your grace, 
This plan is evil, it's horrible, it's dishonoring to you. I will not do it by your grace. Bam, done with. But he didn't do that. And when, when sin is conceived, it gives birth to what? Sin. Isn't that a fun word? Yes. I don't like this chapter. It gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, listen, it brings for death. Now, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I believe when God brings you in, he keeps you in, and you can't get out. But guess what? You can break fellowship with him, and he hangs the phone up. And no matter how much you call out or try to dial or push those buttons, you ain't going to get an answer. Because that relationship, fellowship, is broken with God. And he will not speak to you. He will turn his back on you until you do what? Starts with R. Repent. That's powerful stuff. Do you lose who you are? Hey, my children can be so screwed up and messed up, they can even deny that I am their father. But guess what? They always will be my children. And there's nothing they can do to change that. And when God brings you in by his grace and his mercy, he keeps you in. And you are his child. But guess what God is saying in chapter 7? Don't mess up. Because the consequences of your sin are horrible. Graphic. And not worth it. Wow. It wasn't worth it. This always bothers me. Achan, his family, his possessions, everything that he had physically and spiritually was burned. Physically burned. They stoned them to death. You know what this tells me? In Deuteronomy, it tells me a little, a little information that, that those who are family to one who had sinned, if they are innocent in that sin, in other words, they really did not know the nation of Israel would not punish them. So what does this tell me? This tells me that they were walking with Achan. This tells me that when he brought this to the tent, they knew exactly what he was doing. What should they have done? I mean, you know what they should have done. Achan, you're a dummy, and we're going to go to Joshua, and we're going to tell him what you did. But they didn't do that because they fell to their own desires just like Achan and they were destroyed. Does that mean they no longer were part of the nation of Israel? No. God just punished their sin. And the wages of sin is death. Well, that verse specifically to me speaks of the unsaved that the wage, what you earn for not walking with Jesus, being a child of God, is spiritual separation from God forever. That's what I think that verse means, but I believe there's a principle also there that when we sin as God's people, what happens to the connection? The relationship stays the same. It never changes because God's the one who brought you in. But he is displeased horribly with when we sin, and here's a perfect illustration of the magnitude of what God says, do not do this. And the magnitude was they literally lost their lives. Ananias and Sapphira. 
Did they become, at that point, no longer children of God? I don't think so. I don't believe so. But God punished them for not disclosing the whole truth. Or at least making up a half-truth. What does that tell you about sin? I just don't like this paragraph. <laughs> I just don't like this chapter. because I don't want to have to deal with those kinds of things. It wasn't worth it. Why? Because God is a just God. You know, people say, how could a loving God do that? You know how he can do that? He is a holy God. He is a just God. And he doesn't compromise on who he is. That's part of his character and his nature. And when we blow it, he deals with it. Why? Because he is a just God. How can God do, do that with these people and those people? How could he judge? Because he's a just father. He did it with his own children. He does it with us as his children to demonstrate his holiness, his power, his justice. And the world looks at that and goes, Hmm? Not for the world, but for us that we might understand it. So what's the application? Here's the that was all introduction. Sorry, the message now begins. <laughs> the application. Many of you memorized this verse, but if you haven't, turn to first John 1 9. You know the verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. To forgive us our sin and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. i got to tell you a story. Because the word confess is a powerful word. I think it means to literally use your audible voice and speak your sin to God. Here's my story. I'm going to stand on it. I was about 10, 11 years old. We lived on a small farm. I did something that I was not supposed to do. I won't tell you what it was. It wasn't nice. It wasn't good. And my mom, bless her heart, she got after me. She rebuked me. She says, wait till your, you got it. <laughs> wait till your dad gets home. So later on in the day, dad gets home. He goes, Doug, we go out in the front yard. You get this. This is what he said to me. I'll never forget. This is before he was a believer, even. We didn't know Jesus at this time. My dad said, Doug, and he says, look at me. So I was doing this. Look at me. I finally look at him, and he says, tell me what you did. I looked at him, and I, I'm surprised he didn't whack my head off, but I said, you already know what I did. And he said this. He said this. He says, that's not what I asked you. I asked you, what did you do? You know how hard it was for me to verbally say to my dad the evil I had done, as it were, the disobedience that I had committed? It was difficult to verbally say it. I believe 1 John 1, 9 says, and the word confess has this attitude and idea if we confess with our mouth. In other words, does God listen to you when you don't speak audibly? Of course he does. But I think there's some significance to 1 John 1, 9. says if we confess our sin, if we say to God, Lord God, Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, I took 
though devoted items from this. It's not so much that you're verbally saying it as much as you are audibly hearing it with your own ears. That's what I think confess means. Lord Jesus, I have sinned, and to you only have I sinned. Amen? That's what I think confession means. If we confess our sins, here's the promise. He is what? Faithful. Praise God. Amen? And just. Here's that word again. Faithful and just. How can he be just in forgiving us when we confess? Because, listen, you know this, because of what his son, Jesus, did on the cross, listen carefully, and what the Holy Spirit and God the Father did in raising him out of the grave. It's not the one or the other, it is both. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And listen, I love it, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? That is a loving God. That is a God who is love, who would give to you that kind of forgiveness because let me tell you something, I don't even in one iota deserve that and neither do you. Not even a little bit. But because he loves us, he gave us a son. Amen. Praise his name. Wow. Life situations. It's so important. You know your circumstances. So turn to Romans chapter 6. Powerful passage. Here's the sermon. I want you to get this because Joshua chapter 7 is so powerful about sin and its consequences. So how do you deal with it? What do you do? How do you walk righteously and purely and holy? It's so important. We're going to look at four principles real quickly here. The first principle, chapter 6 and verse 11. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. First principle is the knowing principle. Now, these, these four things I'm sharing with you aren't original to me, so I'm not brilliant enough to come up with these myself. But way back when I was in college, uh, one of our missionaries, uh, John, who was a missionary uh, with the Navigators, got a hold of me and said, hey, here's some things you need to learn. I wrote these down. I've had them since. The first principle is the knowing principle. Romans 6, 11. We need to know who we are in Christ and what we have received in him. Who are you in Christ Jesus? Important for you to know that. So you must consider yourself what? Dead to sin. Who, that's who you are in Christ Jesus. And alive to God how or who in, in Christ Jesus. You're dead to it. What does that mean? Dead to sin. It means the authority of the old man, the authority of sin, the, the nature of who you are as a human being no longer has authority to, over you. You have died to its authority and power. Doesn't mean you, you won't sin anymore, but you're no longer under its control. Listen, you can say, oh, come on. No, you can say no. Amen? There's the amen. You can say no. Powerful stuff. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me. It's no longer I, but Christ in me. The hope of glory. Amen? 
the hope of glory. Praise his holy name. That's so good. And the life I now, listen, and the life I now live where? In the flesh. I live, I walk, I work, I obey by Christ in me. Amen? Not myself. Christ in me. Powerful. Second principle, the resisting principle, verses 12 and 13. Let, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But, here's that great word again, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members, body, soul, and spirit, your members to God as instruments of righteousness. You can do that. Wow. So what's that saying? I think very simply it says we are to resist sin and we're to resist Satan. We resist in the inward prompting of sin and the schemes of the enemy. We resist him. We're going to talk about the how in a little bit. You refuse circumstances that inflame sinful desires. You don't go to places, you don't see things, you don't read things, etc. You don't do those things. Okay? Therefore, we don't go, we don't buy, we don't look, we don't talk with those areas with those circumstances that will draw us into sin. If your eyes give you a problem, Matthew says, pluck them out. Well, I don't believe that's literally what he's saying. He's saying, don't go there and look at those things. Don't do that. If your hands are prone to the five-finger discount, then don't go there. Amen? Amen. When we are actively, this is Wiersbe again, when we are actively filling our hearts, our minds with the pleasures of knowing the Lord, we are much more successful at resisting sin, Satan, and sin-provoking circumstances. Turn to Philippians 4.8. You know this verse. This is so awesome. You want to have the character of a godly person? You want to be a godly man? You want to be a godly woman? You want to be a godly young adult and child? Here's what you need to do by his grace. Listen to what it says. Finally, brothers, Paul is talking to the Philippians. And he's talking about who God is, who Jesus is. Finally, brothers, I like this. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. I love this. If there is anything excellent, if, you've got to be kidding me, Paul. No, that's a statement of fact. There is. If there is anything worthy of praise, here's the thing. What? Think on these things. What you have learned and received from me and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And listen, and the God, here's the promise, and the God of peace will be with you. He will empower you is what that's saying, I believe. Why? Chapter 2, 12 and 13, I think it is, says, For it is God who is at, is at work in you both, listen, listen, who is at work in you and me both to will and to do his good pleasure. 
When you focus on the things that are worthy and honorable, etc., God is pleased, he's pleased to be with you. And when God is with you, guess what the promise is? He promises both to empower you, to encourage you, to grace you, to not only to will in your heart and soul and spirit to do the right thing, but to do it. I don't have to do it anymore. I don't have to be righteous anymore in, the, in that sense of religiously. I just have to walk with Jesus. I just have to be filled with his word. I just have to be influenced. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you what? Present your body, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable thing to do. And then here's the key. And don't be conformed. Hey, listen. We're living in a world today, in our country today, that is trying to crush you and mold you and smash you into a mold that is a new church. The new church in the United States is secularism, anti-Godism. That's the new church. Sorry for being a little political, but that's what's going on. And don't be conformed, but how? By the transform, by the transforming of your mind. So that you might what? How do you transform your mind? Philippians told us, think on these things. Ponder these things. If there's any excellence, if there's any good, think on these things. Be encouragers of one another about those things. And the, what does it say? And you will be able to prove, to attest to, that which is the good and acceptable, I love this, and perfect will Wow. I don't care how smart you are or how dumb you might think you are. I don't care how physically able you are or physically incapable you are. I don't care how much logically you think you can process through or how smart or dumb you think you are. It's God who is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Wow. The presuming principle. Three. Pursuing principle. He says, do not present your members to sin as the instruments of righteousness for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members as instruments for righteousness. Just simple thing. God, here I am. Romans 12, a living offering, a living sacrifice. Here I am. How many times this last week did you say, in the midst of being tempted by sin, whether it be with your mouth or your body or your thoughts or your intents, to say, Lord, here I am as a sacrifice. <laughs> I, to be honest with you, not very many times. But what's the challenge? That's why I need you. That's why we need each other. That's why the, the Israelites were able to conquer Jericho, because they were together encouraging one another and doing what God had told them to do. Present yourself a living sacrifice and be empowered to sin. So the question is, our fourth question is, how? How? Well, turn to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You know the verse, but turn to it if you don't have it memorized. How many of you have ever memorized that verse? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Oh, you should have almost all your hands raised. You need to know that verse. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved. How? Through faith. Listen, and that, in this process, not of yourselves. Why? 
It's God's gift. Why? So that you won't boast about doing something for God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person boast. What is grace? Getting what you don't deserve. What do you get? Forgiveness. Redemption. Justification. Peace. We can go on and on and on. And those are all gifts. Forgiveness. Eternal life. Forever life. What is faith? Simple trust and confidence in God. He said, I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to forgive you. He doesn't have to prove it to you. All you got to do is say, Lord, I want it. I'm going to trust you. And guess what he does every time you trust him? Listen, exactly what he says he will do. Amen? Exactly. And when we test him the first time, so to speak, he proved himself faithful. And he continues to prove himself faithful. Grace gets you in. Getting what you don't deserve. What is mercy? Not getting what you do deserve. Not getting what you do deserve. That's what got you in the grace of God. Now listen to this. This is such a, you need to connect these two verses. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and Colossians verse two, chapter 2, verse 6. Those two verses got to be connected. They got to be put together because that is what walking in faith is all about. That is what victory over sin is all about. Here's what Colossians 2, 6 says. Therefore, he's, he's, whenever Paul says, or whenever you see therefore, you've heard this before, whenever you see therefore in the scriptures, you need to see why it's therefore. Okay? All that previous chapter says about the deity of Christ and who he is and what he's done. He says, therefore, because of who Jesus is, therefore, as you have received in the same manner that you received Christ Jesus the Lord, how did you receive Christ Jesus? By grace. In the same manner, in the same way that you trusted God, you had confidence in God about his word and what he said you would, he would do if you turned to him in repentance and faith. In the same way, he says this, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, I love this, so, that's a powerful word in the New Testament, so walk in him. What's that say? What's that mean? Grace got you in, and grace lets you walk. Amen? Not just physically, but spiritually to be alive in Christ Jesus. To walk. So walk in him. So live in him. So be obedient to him. What does that mean? Crossroad of life. You're facing temptation, whatever it might be. Five-finger discount pornography, bad company, whatever it is, I don't know. When you're at that crossroad, all you got to do is this, Lord Jesus, at this crossroad in my life, I present myself as a living sacrifice to you, and right now, and listen, and right now, I'm asking you to grace me. You need to go to your website and look at your vision, mission, and values. Grace point. I don't think that's a mistake. Lord, right now, at this crossroad in my life, maybe it's not sin. Maybe it's making a decision in life. 
at this crossroads right now, God breaks me. What's that mean? Getting what I don't deserve. What is that? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? People, I'm so I get so stinking angry. I get so distracted about all the baloney that's going on. And I'm not talking about anything but my own feelings in the, in the struggles we've been going through for a year and a half. That's not the point. The point is, how am I going to walk in the midst of all of that? With all this and that and this and that. And then my own personal sin. I don't want to be defeated anymore. I don't want to walk in discouragement anymore. I want to walk with my brothers and sisters in Christ who trust him, who walk with him, who shine for him, who give words of life to those around them and me with them. Amen? How do you do that? By grace. John 10.10. The thief comes to do what? To rob and to steal from you. And the enemy has used good things in the last year and a half to steal from us. Spiritually speaking. I don't want to talk about the politics and the science. That's up to debate. But the enemy uses all of that to do what? To steal from you. What do you want to steal from you? Well, initially in John 10 is life eternal life. He wants to steal that from you, but as a brother and sister in Christ, what does he want to steal from you? The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's what he wants to steal from you. The thief comes to rob and to steal from you. And what did Jesus say? Listen, you know this verse. I am come. I am. I came 2,000 years ago. I am here 2,000 years later. My Holy Spirit is with you 2,000 years later that you might have life have it more abundantly. There's times in the week I have to say, God, forgive me because I'm not experiencing abundance. I'm experiencing anger and hatred and vile thought. You know, all those things. Lord, forgive me. The first song I listened to this morning when I turned my radio on to come Thank you, Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow changing in the light of his glory. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow changing in the light. 
open heart. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Simple truth. I challenge you as Grace Point family. Encourage one another even the more as we see the day of Jesus approaching. Don't argue about the foolishness that's going on. Don't argue about the politics that are going on. Don't argue about the culture that is going on. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon your brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage them. Embrace them. And pray for them. And guess what will happen to all this craziness that's going on? Maybe tomorrow Jesus will come. But in the meantime, what? God wants, he prayed us, to see the light of Christ from this fellowship. From you as a family. Where you work, in your own home. With your husband, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors. Amen? I challenge you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Practice looking full into his wonderful face. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that you do that through your son Jesus. Thank you that you empower us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us to exercise grace in our life, to draw upon it by your Holy Spirit's power. The grace, Lord, thank you, that brought me into life eternal. Lord, I pray we would draw upon that same grace to live moment by moment, lost in your love. Lord, thank you for this body. Lord, they're going through some tough, tough experiences. Lord, I pray that you would bless them mightily, that you would enrich them in their walk with you, that you would tie their relationship so much closer together that it cannot be said that their lives, their words, their deeds would say that they are disciples of Jesus Christ. Enrich them and bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 6, 18, uh, for our benediction. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.